Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to his word proclaimed. Would you please pray with me and pray for me? Oh God, we come to you. We come ready to hear your word so that we can be filled not by what is said, but by your spirit that guides us and leads us and calls us to grow as your disciples. So Lord, during this time, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Do you remember? Those are probably words that you're hearing a lot right now over, over this weekend, aren't you? Do you remember what happened 15 years ago? When I look at my Facebook feed or if I look at Yahoo News or any other news aggregate out there on the Internet or turn on the TV... That's all that we have right now, isn't it? We're getting stories calling us to remember back to 15 years ago. Calling us to remember a time that things were uncertain. This past August, uh, when Tracy and I were on vacation, we went to Washington, D.C. And one of the highlights for me, was when we uh, took a tour of the Pentagon. And before we took the tour, we walked around to, I guess I would call it the back side of the building, where the 9-11 memorial stands. And, and you see all of these benches laid out in this very peaceful environment. Some of them are facing towards the Pentagon. Some of them are facing out away from the Pentagon, showing those who were on the plane uh, facing inward and those who were in the building facing outward, where, where the plane came in and hit this building. And I tell you, whenever I was walking along those benches and I was looking at the Pentagon and actually visiting the memorial inside the Pentagon, it, it, it brought back those feelings that I had 15 years ago. In my, my 9-11 story, if I can share with you, I was in my second year of seminary at Perkins School of Theology. And I just started uh, a new job as a youth director up in Gainesville, Texas. And I was driving back and forth from Gainesville down to Dallas to go to class. And I remember it being a Tuesday, the Tuesday morning where I had an 8.30 class. Now, in order to get to an 8.30 class from Gainesville, Texas, that meant you had to leave about 5 or 5.30 in order to make sure you got through the horrible traffic that was on 35. Well, that day, I believe I was lucky, and I got there early. 
And I remember the radio DJs having fun with 9-11 being the number that you call for emergencies, and they were cracking some firemen jokes and talking about calling uh, 911 and some, some pranks you can do, you know, because nobody knew what was going to happen, so it was all in fun at that time. But I got up to the classroom, and I was about an hour early, and I laid my head down just to rest a little bit, and the professor came in for the class, and as he sat down, he offered a prayer to start our class. And as he prayed, he mentioned something about a small plane hitting a building in New York City. So I, I shrugged that off, just thinking, wow, that's horrible. I feel sorry for those people. But then the class went for an hour and a half. And after we were dismissed from the class, we went downstairs to the main gathering room where the students gathered in between classes. And everybody was in this stunned silence, looking at this, what we would consider now a small television with rabbit ears trying to capture the news that had happened. And as we asked questions, we were filled in about everything that was going on and all of the speculation that was still abound at about 10 o'clock in the morning. It was a scary time. It was a, it was a scary place to be in. But now 15 years later, we look back and we remember those emotions that we had. You know, I thought about as knowing that September 11th fell on a Sunday this year, I kept thinking about what is it should, what should we talk about? How can we live a faithful witness to those events that happened 15 years ago? And the answer was to continue to work through the Sermon on the Mount. Because the Sermon on the Mount gives us words that helps us through times of tragedy. The Sermon on the Mount help gives us the ways as believers of Christ to live our lives faithfully in horrible situations. And I thought it was fitting that we would move to the second part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 talking about light. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city on top of a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, we're fascinated with darkness and light, aren't we? You know, when we think about when times are dark or when, when things are really, really bright, it was kind of cool to see Becky with the flashlights hitting them together and just seeing what happens with that 
You know, uh, last Sunday, you may, may not have known this, but during the early service, we had a power outage. It happened like right when I started my sermon. So I was like, going, okay, maybe I'm getting a message here. <laughs> but, you know, we were able to keep going. You know why? Because we had all of this light from our beautiful stained glass windows pouring in. And we were able to keep moving through the service like really nothing happened. That's not like some of the new churches that are out there right now. If you had a power failure, you wouldn't be able to see a thing. You know, there, there are about five different ways that we have illumination in this building. I, it, it's just kind of a fascinating thing to me. We have the LED lights up here in the chandelier. We have the fluorescent bulbs. We have whatever kind of bulbs and these little square things around. And all of these days are, allows us to have light so that we can do this thing that we call worship. Growing up, I grew up in a, a church in Hutchinson, Kansas, and uh, in front of the sanctuary, there was a small candle that was lit 24 hours a day. It was, it was representing Christ's eternal presence in the space. And when I was a youth, the sanctuary was a kind of a, a creepy place to be. You know, it was a place that you would go hide during hide-and-go-seat because of that red light, because it made this red glow in the sanctuary. But it was always fascinating to see that candle burning, reminding us of God's light in our lives. So I started to think about other lights. Did you know that Texas has a famous light bulb? Did anybody know that? In Fort Worth, Texas, in the Stockyard Museum, there is a light bulb that has been burning since September 21st, 1908. Yeah. I mean, you can go to the stockyards, and you can actually Facebook message the, the Facebook page for this light bulb, and they said, yep, it's still burning, and we're celebrating its birthday on the 21st of this month. See, it was sitting on the back of a, the Byers Opera House, and a stagehand by the name of Barry Burke actually screwed it in, and it's still burning. And it's been burning. Uh, they moved it from there to the, to the Stockyard Museum that you can actually go see it. So we were so proud as Texans, of course, to have the longest burning light bulb until they found out in 1972 that there was another light bulb that has been burning even longer. This light bulb is in Livermore, California. It's at a firehouse. And this is actually, I took this last night, uh, screenshotted it last night. This is a webcam that is focused on this light bulb so you can see if it is still on or not. This was screwed in in 1901, which is just amazing because a carbon filament light bulb usually only burns 750 to 1,000 hours. They have no idea why these lights are still burning. Now, in 2013, there was a scare because it went off for 10 hours. But the fire department decided to rig up its own system to make sure that it had juice running to it to make sure that it stayed on all the time. So it is fascinating. At least I'm fascinated by this stuff. Because I think it gives us a picture of how we are to be in relationship to the world around us. 
We talked about last week, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and a status of, of humility, of how what Jesus is calling for, he's not calling for a, a group of people to try to strive for these things. He's saying, no, this is who you are as a follower of Christ. You are humble. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. The other eight phrases in those sayings, those sayings that we hold dear. But then Jesus continues to move on, first talking about salt, how we should give flavor to the things around us if we are called the body of Christ. But he talks about how we need to have light to light up the world around us. See, the first thing we must remember is that light is to be seen. You don't take a light and cover it up so you can't see it anymore. Isn't there a song that we've sung about that? Come on, sing it with me. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Very good. See, my favorite verse in that was that one that you got to do a little action where you took your hand like this and you cover it up. And you're saying, hide it under a bushel. Oh, come on. You can do better than that. Hide it under a bushel. Okay, I'll let you get by with that one. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine because we are called to let our light Shine. The Old Testament people knew this as well. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6, they have these words, I, the Lord, have called you for a good reason. I will grasp your hand and guard you and give you as a covenant to the people as a light to the nations. So why was this? If we were to go on to verse 7, we would see that we were to be a light to the nations to open up blind eyes, to lead prisoners from prison, and for those who sit in darkness from the dungeon. So we are to bring light so people can see. Continuing into verse, uh, chapter 49, verse 6, we continue. He says, it's not enough since you are my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the survivors of Israel. Hence, I will also appoint you as a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We are to be lights to the nations, not just to the congregation of First United Methodist Church of our city, not just to the community of Roy City, but to the ends of the earth. I don't know about you, but that's letting a light shine a long, long way. I had an opportunity in college to go to school with a contemporary Christian artist by the name of Rich Mullins. You may know him more as the awesome God guy. He wrote that song. And uh, it was very daunting being a 20-year-old sitting in a music theory class with uh, this guy who wrote many songs and also the, the theological brain on this guy, too, whenever he would uh, ask the teacher, hey, Mrs. Jeter, could you ex Never mind, I got it. 
you know, the rest of us sitting and go, okay, we don't know what you're talking about. But see, the thing about Rich was that he lived his light so that God's light was shining in him all the time. People always wanted to be around him. Now, he wasn't the most charismatic guy in the world. But see, he had something in him that reflected God's light. And he wasn't afraid to hide that light from anyone. After he passed away, they filmed a documentary. And they were talking to a pastor from Ireland where Rich would go and visit. And the Irish, the, the Irish pastor would say, you know, in, in Ireland when uh, people would go to a, a pub and they would spend time drinking, there would be a time where people got really, really excited and really, really loud. And if somebody new came into the pub and they saw a group over here having a good time and seeing what they were drinking, they would say, yeah, I want what they're having over there. That's how rich life was. They're saying rich was so bubbling with life and so bubbling with God's love that when you saw him, you said, yeah, I want what he has. I want to know what he knows. So that could be a part of my life as well. Light is also a guide. We use it to, to get through dark places. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a room and I see a light over here and I see total darkness over here, I'm not going to walk this way. I'm going to walk towards the light. That way I know exactly where I'm going. It's kind of like a lighthouse. A lighthouse gives a way for us to see if there is danger around us. There's a, a story, people thought the story was true, but I looked on Snopes and they said it wasn't. It was about a, a U.S. naval ship that was coming across another light. And the U.S. Navy ship says, please divert your course 0.5 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. And the response was, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The U.S. ship came back. Well, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The reply, no, I say again, you need to divert your course. Then finally, just with anger, comes back, this is the aircraft carrier USS Coral Sea. We are a large warship of the U.S. Navy. Divert your course now. And the only reply back was, this is a lighthouse. It's your call. But, you know, sometimes we live our lives that way, don't we? We may have light telling us how we need to live our lives or how we can divert our course of life so that we can avoid troubles or avoid dangers. But we're just like that stubborn U.S. captain sometimes. We just plow right through. And we fail to ignore the warnings that the light has for us. See, my friends, light is not all about just lighting the way, but it's also about giving direction to allow us to live as Christ 
has called us to live. And I think the most important thing about being the light of the world is that the light that we have is not our light. The light is a borrowed light that we can share with others. See, Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. One of the joys being a follower of the light of the world is that we can bring light into really dark places. We can go where God leads us knowing that the light that he gives us brings assurance. The light that he gives us brings hope. The light that he gives us brings life and brings life abundantly. So as we stand here 15 years past, 9-11, as we stand here and we look back and we see where God has brought us so far, we can look forward and we can say, you know what, God still has a long ways for us to go. My hope and my prayer is as we humbly bow down to our God, and we allow God's light to guide us, we can then share that light with others. Let us pray. Oh God, you have given us your light. You have given us a way to share that light with others. We know that we are not called to live this life on our own. As we have disasters in the world around us, as we have disasters in our own communities, we ask that you help us to make this place better because you have placed us here. Help us to change the climate of the world around us because you have changed us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.